the basic potential, basic idea of this lecture is, first of all, what truths we know must be communicated correctly. It's one thing to get an idea about creation. Like, that pastor's wife was extremely sincere. She was trying to encourage us going into high school that, uh, you know, you can believe the Bible because the Bible accommodates good science. Well, it does accommodate good science, absolutely. It teaches good science. But not all which is purported to be scientific is truth. And the gap theory is not truth. And it's in the Schofield Reference Bible, and I grew up on the Schofield Reference Bible. And I'm not against the Schofield Reference Bible. It's still the one I use primarily. This is what I take for lectures because I can put it in my pocket. But my primary Bible is the Schofield Reference Bible. It has good notes. But God didn't write the notes. He wrote the book. He wrote the Bible. And by the way, I'm a King James man. I believe the preserved Word of God is the King James. We have at the Creation Evidence Museum something you need to see. I'll be lecturing on it in a couple of months, but you can see it before that. However, in a couple of months on the first Saturday when I lecture on it, I'll have it out so you can see the annotations. We have a Greek New Testament, 1521. It's 500 years old. It's the Grabilius Erasmus single edition. Only one copy was ever produced, and we have it. How much is it worth? Well, it's priceless. But to give you an idea, it, it was brought in from... Uh, Europe for us, sent over by courier. We needed uh, a Greek New Testament because we were approaching the time of the 400th anniversary of the King James, and I was giving lectures on the trail leading to the King James Bible. By the way, I don't call it the King James Version. I call it the King James Bible. And I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir but I say that wherever I am, and I speak in a lot of venues that are not independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist venues, as you understand, because you speak on scientific creation, and there are various crowds you need to talk to. But anyway, it was brought in. I glanced at it, and the price was almost $30,000. And uh, wow, I said, okay, I'll go to the bank. On the way to the bank, I called an old friend to ask if they would pay. And a little widow got, would pray that the Lord would provide the funds for it. little widow got on the phone and she said, what are we supposed to be praying for? And I said, I have a copy of a 500-year-old Greek New Testament. We need it, so I'm going to the bank to, uh, to borrow the money for it. And she said, well... My kids will just argue over what I'm leaving them. So uh, I'll give $10,000 on it. Wow, I said, that's, that's wonderful. So I'll go to the bank and get the rest. And she called me back five minutes later, and she said, don't go to the bank. I'll send you the whole thing. 
So the Lord provided, and that was $30,000. Is it worth $30,000? Well, before I could get to the bank, a conservator called me. And he said, oh, by the way, there's another conservator who's asking us if, uh, if we have a Greek New Testament that has at least one annotation in it, if it has at least one annotation in it, that is a marking, a note, if it has at least one annotation in it, he'll give $100,000 for it. This has over 1,000 annotations. So, how much is it worth? It is absolutely priceless. But let me tell you why we have it on display. Do you know what 1 John 5, 7, and 8 teach? Anybody here? 1 John 5, 7, and 8. You want to read them? First, it's called the Kama Johannium. You see, in early New Testament Christianity, that was taken out. That was taken out of the New Testament. And in the Schofield Reference Bible, it says some of the oldest editions do not include this text. What's 1 John 5, 7? Someone read it for me, please. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Yes. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Isn't that beautiful? Now, the Bible teaches the Trinity from Genesis to Revelation, but this is the clearest passage on God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three that exist together. That's the Trinity. But that was, that was taken out by Origen in the early centuries. So the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus, the oldest extant manuscripts that we have, don't have it. They're in the Vatican. They don't have 1 John 5, 7. It's out. So many evangelical Christians, including many, and there's a difference between evangelical and fundamental, uh, including many fundamental Baptist Christians and other fundamental Christians, think that passage isn't there. Well, in this Gobilius Erasmus Greek New Testament that we have, 1 John 5, 7 is not there because they had copied from the Greek text they had. Erasmus wanted to include the Trinity passage, but he said, I'm going to have to see a manuscript. Simultaneously, everybody awake? Yeah. It's amazing how one problem, major problem, opens the door for God in His providential care to do a mightier work than the problem is. Constantinople fell to the Turks. Over 400,000 Christians, Christians in name, many of them I think were born again, over 400,000 Christians overnight were trampled and driven into the sea. That's how brutal that religion is. You and I are facing that assault 
if not we, our children and our grandchildren. But God is still in control. So overnight, while the Turks took over Constantinople, which was the headquarters for the Greek Orthodox Church, renamed now Istanbul, which has to do with Islam, Constantinople fell overnight. The Greek Orthodox Church, now I know they're quite formal. We fundamental Baptists aren't very formal at all, and we don't want to be formal. We know how to dress up, but we don't like to be constricted, do we? You can laugh. Okay. Greek Orthodox Church had a trail of the New Testament Greek all the way through the centuries, and they took these manuscripts, put them in their bags, and left town overnight because Constantinople was falling. They came to Europe. Erasmus said, I want to include the Trinity passage, but I'm going to have to see a manuscript. Simultaneous with the publications of his work, which led to the King James Bible ultimately, simultaneously was the evidence from the Greek Orthodox Church with a trail of manuscripts, the evidence that 1 John 5, 7 was in the original manuscripts. So this copy that we have, 1521, it was 1519 when Erasmus introduced his first Greek New Testament. It was 1522 when he introduced his second Greek Testament. In between was this one single volume. Nobody else, no seminary, no university, no museum has this volume except the Creation Evidence Museum. Has over how many annotations? Over a thousand. What about beside 1 John 5, 7, beside the gap? These words in Latin. Enlarge the text for Domini Absissi. Enlarge the text for God Himself. Meaning, include the Trinity. It's there. And all the class said, Amen. Amen. Now, I just want you to know we have the preserved Word of God in the English language. Now, let's make some progress. The first part of this session, I want to try to impress upon you that when we communicate creation truth or any truth, we have to make sure we're standing in the shoes of the student or the person to whom we're talking. Because it is so easy to get a part of the truth and put that with what we already know and get the whole thing mixed up or get the whole thing backward. Have you ever done that? Well, let's watch this. This is a lesson on the creation model, but it begins with kids, you gotta love them. These are statements written on exams by fourth and fifth grade students in Ohio, but it could be true in uh, Joshua, Burleson, Glen Rose, Cleburne, Fort Worth, it could be true even in a Christian school 
even though we have an advantage because the Holy Spirit works in an added dimension in a Christian school. But watch what these students wrote. These are actual statements that they wrote on exams. Ancient Egypt was old. It was inhabited by gypsies and mummies who all rode in hydraulics. <laughs> Notice the kid knew precisely how to spell hydraulics. They lived in the Sarah Desert. Uh, no, no, no. What was he trying to write? He lived in the Sahara Desert. The climate of the Sarah is such that all the inhabitants have to live elsewhere. Well, <laughs> amazing, amazing concept. Now, a lot of you work with kids and youth. You may want to get a copy of this. It's on Brother Andrew's hard drive, uh, and I want it there for your use. Okay, let's see what else. Moses led the Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. <laughs> Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandos. <laughs> uh, too much Nintendo for that kid. He died before he ever reached Canada. <laughs> Got the whole thing mixed up. So it is so easy for the kids to get it mixed up. But the commandos made it. All right. They see it through their experience. We have to remember this. And an evolutionist that you're talking to is seeing the age of the universe as being almost infinite because there's so much going on. And I'm going to try to give you evidence between today and tomorrow to show that it's recent, it's young. But the evidence showing that it is recent and young is left out of the texts. That's the reason your children need a copy of Pearls in Paradise. We don't make a cent on that book. We don't make a cent on any books. But it's an investment in their lives. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. You're taking one of those books for $50 provides 10 books to 10 students in Fiji. So you got to pray for 10 students you'll never meet this side of glory. Okay, you got to become a missionary. All right, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> uh, he was a actual... Hysterical figure. I, I believe that's hysterical according to her idea, as well as being in the Bible. It sounds like he was sort of busy too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taking care of all those wives. The Greeks were a highly sculptured people, and without them we wouldn't have history. The Greeks also had myths. Now, a myth <laughs> is a young female moth. <laughs> Okay, remember, we've got to communicate right so they get it. Socrates was a famous old Greek teacher who went around giving people advice. They killed him. He later died. <laughs> no fair reading ahead. <laughs> he later died from an overdose of wedlock. Oh boy, which is apparently poisonous. After his death, his career suffered a dramatic decline. <laughs> well, it would. Now notice these kids are able to think. They're able to give concepts. 
and put them together, but they get details mixed up. We want them to know the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. In the first Olympics, Greeks ran races, jumped, hurled biscuits, <laughs> and threw the java. <laughs> What's java? Coffee. Yeah, got some folks as old as I am. Coffee. The games were messier than those they show on TV today. Kind of. Kind of. Julius Caesar extinguished himself on the battlefields of Gaul. The Ides of March murdered him. Now, wait a minute. Class, what are the Ides of March? That's a date on the calendar. You can't murder anybody. But the evolutionary community, and I used to hold to these concepts. If it, if it could happen to me, and I was a born-again young man who had been called to preach, I knew the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. But I bought the lie of evolution. And if it could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. So what brought me out of it? There was an assimilation of truth that finally began to make sense. And I could listen. Intellectually, I had become an atheist. To my own satisfaction, to my own satisfaction, I could explain away God. You can't explain away God. But to my own satisfaction, I could because I read some literature that explained him away. But I couldn't deny that somebody lived within me. And I was the most miserable person on earth. What am I saying? Reach them as young as you can get them. Win them to Jesus because they are going to be influenced by evolution. It's everywhere. That's the reason you're here today, to get some evidence to show that it's not true. Well, hang on. We're going to get that. Okay. So the Ides of March can't hurt anybody. But the kid thought the Ides of March murdered Julius Caesar. Evolution takes, are you awake? Takes microevolution. Microevolution is true. What is microevolution? Itty bitty, yeah. It is change within the genetic information already in place. You need to write that down. Microevolution is adaptation. It is change within the genetic information already in place. That is critically important. Microevolution is true. We all change. I change about 10 pounds a month depending on my lecture schedule or preaching schedule or excavation schedule. It's hard work, you eat more. Preaching is hard work. You know why preachers gain weight? They're so tired on Sunday night, they go home and eat a whole pie because they're tired. Young preachers, don't do that. Don't look at us. That's how we got, some of us got here. All right, microevolution 
is change within the genetic information that's already in place. But the evolutionists use macroevolution and they use microevolution to prove it. What is macroevolution? M-A-C-R-O. Macroevolution is big jumps, major jumps. Macroevolution is the idea that you can get a tadpole and ultimately get a cow out of that tadpole. They literally believe they're associated. Or go in another direction, you can get a PhD out of a tadpole. They believe they're all interrelated because tadpoles change. So they envision macroevolution where a tadpole can become another creature that can become another creature. What they don't tell you is two things. That change cannot go beyond the bounds of the genetic information already in place. Yes, we all change. But that change cannot go beyond the bounds of the genetic information already in place. That's number one. You've got to get that. It never changes. We never become a cow, a horse, a race car. We are what we are. There are certain bounds. It can only vary within those bounds. Number two. The changes are always downhill, always. There is never a beneficial mutation. There may be a neutral mutation, but it never leads to a higher organism. The kinds are in place. It never goes uphill. It never remains static. How many of you are prettier today? No, how many of you ladies over 65? No, no, no lady needs to admit you're over 65. How many mature ladies remember the time when you enjoyed looking in the mirror a little more? Sure. All of us. We're all running downhill. I hate to look in the mirror. That's not me. I'm, my wife says, I'm sorry, that's you. I live with you. It is. But it's always downhill. Always. Now, are you awake? Oh, okay. We can select and get a superior outcome. For instance, do any of you run cattle? Now, we raise kids and run cattle. We used to say we raise cattle. We don't. We run cattle. We let them raise themselves. We raise kids. Do you have any friends who run cattle? Okay. Well, I, I wish some. Anyhow, let, let me give you the answer. On cattle, how many calves can you get out of a first-class Guernsey, Hereford, Black Angus, Charley cow? How many calves can you get out of a first-rate, top-of-the-line cow? One at a time. Twins, but... Can I have... Twins. Twins, but over a lifetime. Over, over the lifetime. First-rate, premier, show stock. Ten, right. At the best, 13. 
It'll average 10 over an entire lifetime. Okay, are you awake? That Guernsey, you have to keep the fences up because there are superior qualities to that Guernsey. To the Black Angus, to the Hereford, you may want leaner beef, you may want marbled beef, you may want greater milk production, so you make sure the fences are up. Because if you don't, you're going to lose some of the quality that you have bred or you've isolated that for. And that gives you a superior product. But you can still get at most only 13 calves out of that cow in a lifetime. But suppose you cut all the fences down. Don't try this. Suppose your neighbor's bull could run with your cows and your bull could run with your neighbor's cows. You just cut them all down. In about three generations, you know what you would end up with? Okay, so the two ladies here at the front say definitely inferior. Well, now wait a minute. When you cut the fences down, while you may lose that one superior characteristic, you're getting a broader gene pool that the stock originally had before you isolated that one and isolated that one and isolated that one so you could get that leaner beef. When you cut the fences down, you're getting all the gene pool in place. It produces the old longhorn steer. Do you know how many calves you can get out of a longhorn cow in a lifetime? 23. Why? Because you have the broader gene pool. So the evolutionists say, see, we can evolve the Cadillac, the Guernsey, the Black Angus, the Hereford, and that's superior. They're superior for a particular purpose, but not superior for survival. The broader impact. Let's put it another way. How many of you have a dog around your place? Most people. Do you know who the smartest dogs are? The mongrels. The mutts. Because they have a broad gene pool. We isolate for beauty and for show. Did you know that did any of you ever work in a pet store? Do you know, did you have any dogs in the pet store? Have any little uh, poodles? What was the biggest problem in raising those little bitty poodles? Many of them die. They're isolated. Their gene pool is very narrow, and many little kids take dogs home and they die on them because they can't withstand the elements. It's the mongrel that can withstand all of the elements. So, back to the idea I'm trying to get across. Microevolution, microevolution is true. There's adaptability programmed by the Creator in all life forms, adaptability is there. That's change within the gene pool. But the evolutionist 
talk about the Ides of March. Talk about a concept that produces a result when it doesn't do it at all. There is no macroevolution. One life form cannot produce another life form. Got the idea? Now let's go back to the kids and then we'll try to make some more progress. The Ides of March murdered him because they thought he was going to be made king. Dying, he gasped out, Same to you, Brutus. Well, what did Julius Caesar actually say? Et tu, Brute. But the kids said, Same to you, Brutus. All right, so we're back to the kids trying to teach us. Delegates from the original 13 states formed the Contented Congress. The kid didn't quite get it right. Thomas Jefferson, a virgin, well, I hope so, and Benjamin Franklin were two singers of the Declaration of Independence. Well, Franklin discovered electricity by rubbing two cats backward. Now, that'll do it. Two cats backward, you got it. <laughs> that'll do it. Not what he did. And he also declared a horse divided against itself cannot stand. Well, what, what did the cliche really? A house divided itself cannot stand. That's what the kid heard. Well, that's what the teacher said, but that's not what the kid heard. The whole point is we've got to make it clear. He was a naturalist for sure. Franklin died in 1790 and is still dead. Okay. Okay, almost finished with them. This is my favorite. Okay, don't look at that yet. No fair reading ahead. No fair reading ahead. <laughs> Students, class, the evolutionary community has a lot of data. But they select that data. They don't give you all the data available. Tomorrow in the morning service, I'm going to talk to you about the landing of Apollo 11 what two major things were discovered as a result of that, and NASA won't say a thing about it. If they do, they twist it around. But it confirms what your Bible has been saying all along. I can hardly wait till then, but also this is fun right now. Okay, this is my favorite statement by this kid. And when we read it, everything the kid said was true. He just didn't have it lined up right. So what did the kid write? Abraham Lincoln became America's greatest president. Well, didn't, didn't quite get that right, but he was our greatest president probably. Uh, I pray for our current president. Do you pray for our current president? Maligned by the press and by the liberals? I call him the John Wayne in the White House. He's not perfect by any means. In fact, I think the guy is incredibly brilliant. I think he just delights in irritating the press and they camp on what he's saying and quietly he restores our liberties on the side. So. We need to pray for him. I call him the John Wayne in the White House. We need to pray for America. And uh, 
I read the scriptures. All of this had to happen, but it sure is gut-wrenching when it does happen to the stars and stripes in America. And I'm not being political. I'm just being patriotic and truthful. We need to pray for our president. Uh, okay, watch it. Watch closely. Abraham Lincoln was America's greatest president. Okay, spell that wrong. Watch this. Lincoln's mother died in infancy. And he was born in a log cabin, which he built with his own hands. <laughs> Do you know that everything in that statement is true? It's just not lined up right. The evolutionary community has a lot of data. We pay a lot of tax money for them to come up with this data but you've got to line it up right. And that's what this little short two-day seminar is for. We've got to line it up right. Now, if I just give you a long list of facts, 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 you'll go to sleep on me in 15 minutes. So I'm trying, trying to keep you awake, but the facts are there. Watch this. Abraham Lincoln's mother died in his infancy. And he was built, he was born in a log cabin, which his father built with his own hands. Everything in that sentence is correct, just got it mixed up. So we've got to learn to get the truth, and we've got to learn to give the truth. If you learn nothing more in these two days other than let's know it straight and let's make sure we're communicating it right. That's the reason for this little book, Pearls in Paradise. In one volume, it puts it in their hands. Got to give you this story to show you the value. I was able to win to the Lord a number of the descendants of the great king. And one of them is Ratu George. He married Syriana, the pastor's daughter. They are both descendants of the great king chief from two directions. So their daughter is a double descendant. That's pretty nice. Uh, so when we first got Pearls in Paradise, I took a copy straight to Ratu George. Ratu means chief in Fijian. I took it straight to Ratu George. I said, would you read this? You see, Ratu George got saved, but his buddies at the university are atheists. And they feed questions like, where did God come from? All of those things which are normal conversation among atheists. Where did the idea of God come from? Uh, uh, who invented God, et cetera, et cetera. So he'd come to me with this. So I handed him a copy of this book, right, the first edition. I said, Ratu George, Chief, would you read this? He said, I'll do it. So he started reading it, and he couldn't put it down. Later, his wife, Syriana, came to me. She said, last night, she said, I'm tired. George won't put that book down. She said, it was late at night. We were in bed, and George was reading the book. And I said, George, you know how you ladies convince your husband to whatever tone, George, would you turn out the light? I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. And my husband said, I want to read this book. 
And she said, but you're supposed to read it one page at a time. He said, I am reading it one page at a time. <laughs> then, about the same time, then the next trip, we started distributing it to the students. But the only way you can get it is to be a student in a high school. And we give it to them free. You're, when you have these books, you're helping us pay to give it to them free. And so uh, Pastor Ben Barrick was going to the bus stop. And there was a lady sitting at the bus stop on the little bench reading one of these books, Pearls in Paradise. So Pastor Ben stepped up and said, you like that book? She said, oh, I can't, I can't, can't put it down. He said, where'd you get it? He knew the only way to get it was to be a student or a teacher in the school. Where'd you get it? She said, well, I went to my cousin's house. She wasn't there, so I walked in. I remember the time in Texas when you could go visit your aunt and just walk in. Yeah. Don't try it anymore, you might get shot. <laughs> She said, went to see my cousin. She wasn't there, so I just walked in. Over on the table was this book. And I picked it up and started, I said, I like that. So I put it in my purse. And uh, Ben said, are you going to take it back? She said, no. People are stealing to get that book. So I'm just trying to tell you, the truth is there. And when you start reading it, I don't think you'll be able to put it down. Okay, so in, uh, Lincoln's mother died in infancy, in his infancy, and he was born in a log cabin, which is true, which he, he didn't build it, his dad did, with his own hands. His dad built it with his own hands. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves by signing the Emasculation Proclamation. <laughs> that kid didn't get it right. That's not what Lincoln signed. And by the way, enslaving anybody is wrong. And all the class said, Amen. Okay, let's wrap this up and then let's get to the creation model. Johann Bach wrote a great many musical compositions and had a large number of children. In between, he practiced on an old spinster which he kept up in his attic. Oh, kid, you got it wrong. Now, are you learning something? Subliminally, those kids, no matter what truth you give, they drop it down a notch to the very sensual. That is natural for the kids. They just need Jesus. And the evolutionists drop it down a notch to the very sensual. What was the kid trying to say? What did Johann Bach do? I have seen the spinister that he practiced on. What's a spinister? It, uh, it's a small piano that you can haul up and down the stairs and practice on. It was up in his attic. I've seen, I've been in his place over in Europe. So in between the children, he practiced so that the wife could get a little sleep. He practiced up in the attic on the spinister, which is a piano. But what's a spinster? <laughs> Uh, an older lady who's never been married. <laughs> okay, yeah, so that kid said he was practicing uh, on an old maid. <laughs> okay, uh, not so. In between, he practiced on an old spinster, which he kept up in the attic. Bach died from 1750 to present. It sounds very intellectual. 
When you see the statements the evolutionists give, they sound very intellectual. They coin terms so that you won't know what they're talking about. But when you really get to the details, they don't have a shred of information that the universe is more than a few thousand years old. Stay with me through tomorrow night and we'll give you some evidence. Tomorrow evening, the Lord willing, I'll give the testimony of Sir David Otway Ray and it'll show you that the entire universe, the entire universe, not only the earth and the moon tomorrow morning, we're going to learn by actual tangible scientific evidence that the moon is young, just a few thousand years old. We're going to learn tomorrow night that the entire universe is young. Stay with us. But now let's get some information here. Bach died from 1750 to present. Sounds very intellectual, just nonsense. Bach was the most famous composer in the world, and so was Handel. Handel was half German, half Italian, and half English. He was very large. Okay, the kid didn't quite get it, and evolution doesn't quite get it. We need to line it up straight. Beethoven wrote music even though he was deaf, and that was a marvelous accomplishment. He was so deaf that he wrote loud music. <laughs> kid, you don't have it exactly right. Class, are you getting it? The kid and the person you're talking to, here's what you say from what they already know. Loud music was rock and roll, so Beethoven wrote rock and roll, but he didn't. He didn't. Okay. He took long walks in the forest even when everyone was calling for him. Beethoven expired in 1827 and later died for this. Yeah, if you expire, that'll get you. All right. Now, let's give a hand to the kids. Okay. It's a quarter of 11. So we're going to take a five-minute break this time, and then we're going to get to the creation model in the last hour. Um, I could give you data all day long, but if we don't have a, a tree to hang it on, if we don't have a model to fit it in, it's just a lot of data. This book, The Crystalline Canopy, gives you that entire model. You can study it at home. You can find out pre-flood man's IQ, but that sub-author was actually being very conservative. <laughs>